You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins. Adam, how you doing today? Unbelievable. Unbelievable? Is that right? I am doing unbelievable. (laughs) Great. What's so unbelievable about the way you're doing today? I just want to, like, I'm trying to think of things like that. Are they weird? Like, you wouldn't normally say it. It's also vague. Like, that could be positive or negative. Which is a lot more helpful than what you normally give me, which is, I'm good. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, good. I'm unbelievable. unbelievable man. Well, you know why I'm unbelievable today? <laughs> you wouldn't today? believe it. I don't believe it. I, I'm pumped <laughs> you up. We've would got not a couple... believe where I'm at right now, bro. You are fully restored to uh, glorified mm. Adam. Mm-hmm. How's that? No, no. Too okay. stretched. Uh, well, I'm really pumped today because we've got our friends back in the studio with us. Mr. David Rourke, producer of the show, friend of the show maker of the show, originator of the show, author of the show. If you hate the show, it's David's fault. That's right. right. But if you love the show, it's David's fault, which is great. David's yeah. the best. Great place email to be him. In. Email David. <laughs> David, so good to have you It here. is funny because when people complain, they email you guys and sure. they never email me, which is, yeah. let's keep it that way. Okay, let's keep it that way. People, we don't get that many complaints, but we could use some more ratings on iTunes. So guys, mm, go on there. That is us. true. Please high. do that. Please. Uh, but even better. I just subscribed today. <laughs> you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's Last great, week. Here's what's great about this episode. It's great that Adam's here. It's great that David's here, but even better, we have somebody whose opinions I actually enjoy listening to more than my own. Miss Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, I'm so glad you're here. Hey. What's up, Elizabeth? Elizabeth just listened into the end of our last episode and had better opinions than anything we actually <laughs> expressed on the show. That's true. Oh, no. I really, don't know why she's not just always on the show. She should replace us. I if it, agree. This should be Culture Matters with Elizabeth Woodson and the occasional the occasional interruption from Adam and Adam. <laughs> Adam the Adams. We just call it occasional interruptions. Well, on today's episode, we're going to continue going through our series on uh, different theologies, starting with the theology of culture, where we start with theology instead of culture first and take a look at how that affects our culture. So today we're looking at the doctrine of restoration. So on most Culture Matters episodes, uh, we start by looking at something in the culture, be it a piece of art or something politically happening or a current event, and then we talk about how Christians should interface with these things. How should we think about these things? What does the scripture uh, have to say about these things? But we've been doing a series this year that Elizabeth's been helping us out with so expertly, talking about uh, starting from first a theology, a doctrinal standpoint, and then moving that towards the culture. How then do we think about this, or how does this affect our culture? So Elizabeth Woodson, she's one of our Bible teachers here at the Village Church Institute, just wrapped up another semester of classes. Elizabeth, how's yes. that feel? It feels really good. Are they going to let you take a vacation? Are you getting a vacation? I hope so, after they listen to this podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Dang, but uh, that's, be nice. <laughs> that's awesome. I'll get you a gift card to Subway or something. If Subway? You like. Subway? <laughs> that's wow. Subway. I thought I knew you. Yeah, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the worst Subway. Thing I have think of right there. Speaking of restoration. At a restaurant <laughs> in the last 15 years. Because. They, right. have, they have euros at Subway now, I think. No, you're kidding. 
Well, <laughs> that's they jump really? the shark. They jump to the shark. Yeah. It's probably made of shark, if you think about oh, it. Yeah. This is going downhill real quick. It, it is. is. It sure <laughs> is. Well, before we jump into talking about culture and restoration, <laughs> let's recap the series. We've talked about the doctrine of creation and the Lord making all things good. We've talked about the doctrine of the fall and how mankind broke everything that the Lord has made. And then we talked about the, the doctrine of redemption, the Lord buying everything back, God buying it back through the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about restoration. So as an intro to today's topic, let's first talk about what scriptures come to mind when you think about restoration. Let's frame this up by using the word of God. So Elizabeth, Adam, David, when I talk about the doctrine of restoration, the Lord uh, bringing to culmination all the work he's doing so it's fully back to a paradise level, what scriptures come to mind for you guys? I mean, I think of, I think a couple of different scriptures, but one is this idea of 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 mm-hmm. through 18. Um, the dead in Christ shall rise to meet the Lord um, as he mm-hmm. returns to earth to bring his kingdom um, and consummation. This idea that um, even though we have been redeemed, we still live in a, in a world marred by sin. Yeah. And one of the ultimate effects of sin is death. And so it's this idea. And I think I've been sitting in this a lot because of just some sickness that's happening to my family and mm-hmm. the hope that I sit in that um, this particular family member, if she doesn't. She isn't healed on this side of eternity. She's gonna get it from the grave um, mm. because of what Christ is gonna do. And so I think of that First yeah. Thessalonians, that when Christ returns, we're all going to arise with Him yeah. um, as He begins to consummate all things. Yeah. So that's one that pops out to that's me. That's perfect. What do you think, Adam? Man, uh, you know the idea of restoration, the theme of restoration, is just all over Scripture. And a place that I've been camping out for the past year or so has just been the story of Job. And so I think at the end of Job, you get a picture where Job repents and then um, his friends are rebuked and then he prays for his friends. And at the end of praying for these friends that did not treat him very kindly, it says the Lord restored, this is in um, Job 42.10, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Uh, and this picture of restoration, if you read it shallowly, can be seen simply as, oh, all the things that Job had lost, his family, his fortune, et cetera, were given back to him. But I think if you project that picture, right, if you look at it more through what it's, look at God's love, God's forgiveness, and then what it foreshadows is this idea that um, the, 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 what God will restore at the end of the day mm-hmm. and at the mm-hmm. end of days is even more than we could imagine, right? Uh, the life that is available now. So I want to talk about the here and now too. It's not just a restoration in the future, but what's available to us now is even more than we could ever imagine. It's more than we ever thought we could have. Uh, and what the picture of restoration there is not so much about, uh, these physical things and these, and these, um, uh, uh, money, material, material things. Mm-hmm. The picture there is a is a picture of wholeness. He yeah. was restored to wholeness, yes. family, yes. relationship, uh, provision, all of that. And so there's just, I just think it's a beautiful picture of a return to wholeness or rest, restoration to wholeness. That's good. David, anything come to mind for you, buddy? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably thinking of more of the, they went more specific with some passages I wasn't thinking of. I'm thinking of kind of the bigger ones, Revelation 21, mm-hmm. Isaiah 60, really thinking about eternity, the consummation, the eschaton, whatever you want to call it, but sort of the eschaton. End. Eschaton. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. You use that the whole time? Okay. Yeah. Um, 
We could have just called this episode that instead oh, of Oh, people love that. Yeah, yeah, they would have loved it. Um, Listen to the eschaton. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking more big picture maybe of just, you know, the uh, the renewal mm. of all things, the complete renewal, the perfect renewal, mm. this new Jerusalem, city on a hill, yeah. new heaven and new mm. earth, um, just the the perfection of all things. And and the thing that I've really sort of thought about with this episode is the physical things. And as a kid growing up, I think when I thought about eternity, I thought so much about spiritual, yeah. spiritual. But the more I read my Bible and I see this picture of the new heaven and new yeah. earth, and I know that there's symbolism in Revelation and I don't want to take everything literally, but this is a physical world where we get physical new bodies, yeah. where we're interacting with physical things. So it's super pertinent as it relates to a conversation around culture, which tends to be more of a cultural artifact, you know, that we're talking about. Great. Uh, I want to share one real quick too, before we move on. Uh, The scripture that comes to mind for me, I think of when Lazarus passes away Mm. and Jesus shows up and Martha comes out and, and Martha says, uh, you know, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus uh, kind of uh, comforts her saying he's going to rise again. And she mm-hmm. says, I know he'll rise again on the last day. Mm-hmm. And the, some of that right there, I, I get kind of the restoration mm-hmm. hope in me of like, okay, even though my relative has passed yeah. away, I can take uh, comfort in the fact that one day we will be reunited in heaven or that they are currently reunited with their savior. And Jesus says, uh, yes, uh, do you believe that I could do this now? She says, I believe that God can do you. God will give you whatever you want because you're Christ, the son of God. Absolutely. And so it, he raises Lazarus on that day, but it does not negate the fact that she's comforted by the fact that he will one day rise again as well. Because mm-hmm. that is a reality. That is a reality without escapism that I want to have hope in without yeah. saying like, listen, this world's broken. We just need to all get out of here. Maranatha, Lord, come back now and please take us away. Although I do hope the Lord comes back now. Restoration is about putting our hope in not only a future reality, but a now and evermore reality that God has has uh, done everything and accomplished everything in the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. And so now all things are being made new and will be restored in the new kingdom when That's the, good. when the heavens, uh, yeah. new heavens and new yeah. earth. So what conclusions do, can we take from these passages we've just shared? How does that relate to our understanding of culture? David, you just mentioned a little bit there, how your passage, you feel like directly translates into a cultural idea. How do we take what we've just said and, and how does that affect culture restoration? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's when you, if you can imagine an eternity that is physical and not just spiritual, then it gets it gives significance to culture today. Yeah. So if if there's such thing as work in eternity, if mm-hmm. I'm physically doing things, I'm still being the person God has wired me to be in a perfected way. Then that means that like my work now is not meaningless. Like it, it, there's something eternal about the very things that I do now, given that those things aren't just like when Jesus comes back, you know, in his second advent, that he's not just going to like all the physical things aren't just going to disappear and all these, this food that we talk about on this episode, this music that we listen to, those things don't just go away. Like those things are, are here to stay, but in a better, more perfected way. I think a little bit about too, about the transfiguration, how Moses and Elijah still had their identities as Moses and Elijah in the transfiguration. Not that we become some kind of like now heavenly automatons where we are just uh, soulless, uh, like a mass instead of an individual, we're just souls. So Mm -hmm. we are still us in some glorified way. Elizabeth will exist in glory, not just 
a human being who worships God for all eternities, like uh, emotionlessly. But I like that, like a restored version of what the Lord has done here. In fact, when he first created a perfect world, we see a physical paradise that he creates with animals and plants and people in it. Mm. And if we are to believe, like he says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he describes a future perfect heaven and perfect earth. Then a physical realm with a physical culture is part of our doctrine of restoration. What else? Uh, what else pulls from those scriptures when you think about culture? Elizabeth, Adam. I mean, I think because in our culture we have this, we're always looking for perfection. We're always looking for this sense That's of good. completeness, and so um, because we just yeah we we live in brokenness constantly, and so I think that there always is something. Um, I've been thinking of this idea about longing, you know, sitting in my singleness. And so I think longing is something that we all experience Mm -hmm. in any season because something's always missing. Yeah. And so I think this idea that in restoration, there is no sense of incompleteness because all things are complete. There's no brokenness. There's no sorrow. Like there, anything that brings us any sort of pain in this reality um, is gone. And that to follow up on what David says, that we are an embodied people. So who we are in our physical self matters. And I yeah. get to take that into the new heavens and new earth. And I think I grew up thinking, you know, that heaven is just this faraway place that I go to and it has nothing to do with what's here. And that's mm. not the case. Um, that God makes everything around us new and perfect and complete. And I think to be in a world where everybody's looking to feel something in themselves, yeah. um, we won't have to do that anymore because the Lord will have taken care of all of it. It's just, to me, that's that's what's really sweet is what's wrong will be made right in everything. Yeah. That's great, yeah. That, to, to piggyback off that point is just, you know, that same idea that growing up, that heaven was this thing that was far away. Yeah. And it was this thing we're aiming towards and we're, we're that's really what it is. Like, let's get through this life now so we can get mm-hmm. somewhere else. And, and that maybe is a bit unfair, but I, I think that was what, the picture was uh, ultimately. And I think um, instead this different understanding of what we've been talking about, this idea of completeness, these ideas of eternity is that when Jesus came, he brought eternity into the here and now. Right. And that eternity exists in a person in Jesus Christ. And through a relationship with him, we reflect that same eternity here and now. And so that's what we can aim for. In other words, no, yes, we're on this side of, of, paradise or whatever, you know, uh, but while we're here, um, we get to represent those eternal ideals and yeah. we get to aim for something. And it means that restoration to a degree, maybe imperfectly can happen where we are now. Yeah. And I just, there is something really important about that idea, um, that in my relationships in, in, um, society that in all the things that we're doing, we're aiming for something, um, that's really beautiful, you know? That's great. I want to touch on something you said a minute ago, Elizabeth, because I think this is something I've run into a lot. I, I'm a lifelong slacker. I've, I've really uh, struggled with procrastination mm-hmm. and doing things at the last minute. But I've come to realize that much of the world are, are lifelong uh, perfectionists. Oh. There are a lot of people in this world that are like, they have to get it right. They have to do it as soon as possible. They have to follow all the instructions. And it gives them great anxiety to do anything less than what is entirely expected of them and gives them incredible anxiety to fail at that. And I think there is a real sense in, in a lot of our culture of um, as a parent, you want your kids to be perfect. As, a, as an adult, you want your, your life to be perfect physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And you're just always trying to achieve and achieve and achieve and achieve. And why is that? Why does humanity have this drive or this great desire 
for perfection and why does it drive us nuts when we fall short? I think there is a there's a redeemed version of that that says, hey, let's let's our goal to be like Christ is a good goal, mm-hmm. but not to to fall into guilt, shame, fear, anxiety when it comes to falling short, but rather lay back and rest in the arms of Christ and his great mercy over my imperfections. But also in that moment, lean back into the hope that one day Mm -hmm. what I see now as a flawed version Mm -hmm. of perfectionism is going to be in the reality real to me. Like it was not about me making the world perfect. It was about the story that Christ has done all that needs to be done in order to one day make the world perfect. I know that 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 gives me a lot of hope as someone, when you're looking at all the personality tests, I always hit on like the achiever, persister, like the worst side of me finds value in the work that I do, the things that I accomplish. So it gives me great hope and peace to think about a day coming where like, man, I don't have to try to do that anymore. And like, I, and I think it also pushes me now to know that I don't need to do that now yeah. because that's not who I am. And I don't need to find my affirmation and value in those things. Yeah. But to know that there's going to be a point yeah. where I can perfectly rest mm. in being who I'm supposed to be yeah, and still getting to do the things that I love to do and use the gifts that I've been given, but not in a way that I'm trying to find value Excellent. from it, right? Yeah, we'll have a restored version of meeting expectations ourselves and other people's, right? And I do feel like that will be one of the greatest pieces, uh, peace, P-E-A, peace that we will find as a generation is being set free from being enslaved by our own opinion of ourselves and other people's opinion of ourselves. Yeah. And just the comfort of the Lord's opinion of us, seen through his son, Jesus Christ, and we get his righteousness. And so when everything is restored, man, that sounds just wonderful. And it does give me new light and understanding for how I currently deal with my own drive to meet other, for other people to like me, for other people to think I'm good at my job, for me to produce something worth being produced. And so there's a restored version of that. Before we keep going on this topic, though, I want to take just a minute to talk about our sponsor. So, all right, let's jump back in. Let's talk about a little bit about the implications. What are some of the connection points between the cultural mandate and the vision we have for eternity? For example, uh, will we work in the new heaven and new earth? David, you brought up a second ago that you think the work that we do now translates much like, hey, we'll, we'll work in heaven. Are you saying that we'll all still work at the village church in heaven one day? <laughs> I don't think that we'll all work at the village church necessarily, but, um, but we are hiring. And if I'm being, <laughs> and if I'm being, if I'm being honest, I don't know that I even had this category until I think I did the gospel and life study, Tim Keller, like yeah. six or seven years ago. I had just never thought about work because to me, you know, we think of, I connect work so much to the fall and all the struggles of work and what's difficult about it. Um, but to think, I mean, it's hard to imagine when you think about why God created us. When we go back to that episode that we did on creation and culture, when we join Him in that creation mandate, that like that's what we were created for. So it seems weird that in the restoration of all things, that that would just go away. It it seems like it would be a completion of that original mandate, if that makes sense. But I, did you guys have you always had categories for this? I think the marriage one has been confusing because you do talk about like marriage is temporal, right? Like the Lord's made really clear. If you're married in this life does not mean you're married in the next life. You're not given in marriage. We're not getting married. And I think that led to some confusion about other aspects of our life to me. Like, oh, it must be totally different. But 
to paint our God like he's one way in Jesus Christ on this earth and then he'll be another way in heaven, it was mind-blowing for me to think, what if God's nature as a servant, as he is in Jesus Christ, is exactly who he is for eternity? And I'd always imagine more like Jesus Christ serves, but God the Father makes us bow down in front of him, and that's what we'll be doing for all eternity is bowing down in front of him. But it changes things if you start thinking about what if the nature of God is as a servant king? And what if for all eternity, we're in the presence of a God who loves to serve and see his people serve, and you're in a community that does that perfectly, and you start to realign what you think about the restored world and go, okay, what if work then? Work seems evil, Work or, or authority seem like an adversary. What if all authority is for you and servant-hearted? And what if all work is if something that brings joy to you? And what if every relationship is a redeemed version of that relationship? So marriage, it's not to be mourned that we don't have marriages, that we will have that level of intimacy spiritually with everybody that right now we only get a shadow of in maybe a spouse or in a friendship. And so that we have, and this is more redemption, but a restored version of everything good that we have in this world because the Lord created what we interact with in this world. The heaven is described as a feast. And like you said, I do believe there's feasting in heaven. I believe there's eating in heaven. And I'm, I'm not saying, uh, you know, when you're a kid, they ask like, if you're perfect in heaven and you try to play baseball, like, is it everybody's going to strike out or is everybody's going to hit home runs? And I do believe it's a world without sin, not without strikeouts and not without singles. I think, you know, it's, it's a world without sin, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that everybody can, is a superhero. It's the world saying everybody well, is a restored version well. of humanity. Well, maybe you'll be able to <laughs> fill us in, Adam. No, I, I, I love that. I think what you're saying is so important. I think it's why the idea of restoration is so um, central and key because like you guys, I think the idea of heaven being like the floaty cloud or the, you know, too loud worship, the worship music's too loud and you're laying on your face the whole time, you know, or something like that. I think um, if you change that idea, I heaven... The idea of heaven, the idea of perfection, the idea of it's so other. How do you even conceptualize perfection? How do you yeah. even conceptualize a world without brokenness? How do you even conceptualize? And so it was always so hard. It always just seems so ethereal. It always seems so far off. It's pure abstraction in a sense. Mm-hmm. But then when you start talking about restoration, what I can picture is some of these things that are here and now. Now maybe they're broken and maybe it's that old you know, like think of it with woodworkers and things like that or a house restored. You can see, you know what the house looks like. It helps you to see in your mind's eye what maybe a restored version could yeah. be. Yeah. And so to think about things like work, okay, work restored. What it means is that it will actually fulfill in the ways it's supposed to. Relationships, okay, they will, they'll do what they were created for and what they're meant for. And so the idea of restoration actually helps me picture heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah. If I try to picture heaven on its own, I can't do it. But if I can, if I think about the idea of restoration, restored creation, then I, then it, provides categories for me. I hope that's helpful. No, I think that's really, really helpful. So as we think about interacting with culture today, and I think that's a really helpful picture of of what it is to come into eternity, how does this play also into the idea of of diversity? What we see right now in the the variation in people, the variation in preferences, the variation in experiences, the variation in what we look like and are like, how does restoration play into the concept of diversity? I mean, I think the reality is that we'll all be together for eternity, um, all of us with. And I think what's important is that who we are on this side of eternity 
as embodied people will go with us. Yeah. And so I think a part of that is our ethnicity. Yeah. And, and I think this idea that God, the intentionality of which God gave us um, different ethnic backgrounds and that whole conversation, but just that if we're going to be able to spend eternity, all the differences, no hierarchies, no class structures, full equality and celebration and joy and beauty and the God who gave us all the beautiful differences, then how does that affect how we interact with those things now. Yeah. Um, and I think as Adam was talking about, is this idea that restoration making its face shown mm. now um, on this side of eternity and how we fight for those spaces and the things that push against us being able to love the diversity that God created and that we will see. Like we will be with people, I think even in... Um, is spaces of Christianity where we argue with one another mm. over things we think yeah. are really important. I was like, uh, I was telling my class this summer, I said, y'all, on these secondary issues, we'll all be together. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're all going to be hanging out. And so how does that how does that relate to how we treat one another and fight for equality and fight for things that value what God created? Um, yeah. That's really good. Yeah, we see in Revelation that ethnicity exists mm-hmm. in heaven, right? I think for a long time when I was a child, I imagine that kind of in order for heaven to be a place with no tears, like it describes in Revelation, that would mean we must have no memories of our life behind us. We must be restarting everything. And I must be like a brand new redeemed and restored mind. Mm. But the reality that, no, I I will uh, receive from, I will will see in God the plan that was there all along. And that will bring the joy that removes all tears. To go like, oh, everything that we grieved on earth was all part of this incredible plan that like like Christ says for that, that all these things are done for the good of those who love them. Everything works together for the good who loves them. That's and, good. And that's the reality that I'll receive in heaven. Not either. And there's another version of that that I imagine when I get to heaven, I'll know everything. Mm. And that's not true either. That when I get to heaven, I become God. Like yeah. I, I, we don't believe in a world where when we get to heaven, what's restored is that now I no longer need God because I know everything mm. and can do everything. And I have, all, no, we'll have a restored view of God, a right relationship with God. Yeah. We will... Our desires will be realigned where what we desire most is what we should desire most, which is God, not that we would become him. That's a broken version of my desires. Mm, So I love thinking about now my concept of heaven has so changed from the kind of Americanized, like uh, hell is where Satan rules and heaven is where we sing songs version of restoration where, no, it's a restored understanding of who God is and what he's doing. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, when we're thinking about diversity and eternity— it's good to think about too that like it's not like these different cultures, all tribes, tongues, and nations, that their cultures disintegrate mm-hmm. and we're all sort right. of the same and doing the same yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I spoke earlier about Isaiah 60, but it's talking about the New Jerusalem um, and it's talking about the ships of Tarshish full of silver and gold. The glory of Lab- Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. So you're talking about physical things brought from different cultures mm. and all sort of laid at the, the feet of Christ in a, in a means of worship. So it's, like, it's not that those things go away. It's that they come together for a fuller, more beautiful picture. That's really um, beautiful. And I think you see, you see a little taste of that with the three magi. Um, so I wrote a little bit of an, uh, I wrote an article on this. A little bit of an article. A little bit of an article. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been a longer article <laughs> had I not had an editor, but you know. But I think the the magi, the, the reason it's in the story, one of the reasons is it gives us a little foretaste of that piece of eternity. And you know, you have the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but these yeah. are physical goods brought from these different cultures, these different nations for the glory of God. Um, so 
it's it's fascinating to think that that's what perfection is, though. It's it's not wow. just a homogenous. Mm-hmm. Even when I said music earlier, I'm probably thinking of a very specific kind of music in my head, but it's a wide variety of different musical genres yeah. and backgrounds and things like that. Um, so those things are because of that are to be celebrated today um, in the now because they're important in eternity, right? Yeah, that's good. Let's take it from there. Let's talk about culture specifically. Let's take the the doctrine of restoration and think about where do you see that in art? Where do you see that in in uh, personality, in expression, in desires in our culture today? Where do you see it in obsession with wanting things to be perfect, wanting them to be restored? What are some examples, good and bad, that you see of the doctrine of restoration in people's mm. hearts and in expression in our culture? Mm. I mean, I think for me, because um, music's really big for me and a big part of my culture, um, this idea of a hope for a better space. Yeah. Um, and so whether that goes all the way back to um, having grown up in the black church, just Negro spirituals and hymns, and this this place is not our home, and we hope for yeah. some place beyond um, that none of the suffering we see here will be a part of it. Um, also, I think in hip-hop. And I, I, I love how um, mainstream artists and non-Christians talk about these things and think about who God is and think about what is heaven like and all, and hearing in whether it's, I mean, Dr. Dre or Tupac or Biggie, like hearing them talk about wanting to wanting something to be renewed and restored. Mm, um, being able to acknowledge the brokenness in their own communities and the lives that they've chosen, not being able to comprehend death that's happened, um, and, and speaking about what they think heaven is like. And so I think hearing what people talk about and knowing that we as Christians have the fuller story, but to me, think from music, what I've seen is a hope for a life beyond this one, um, a place where I'm not having to engage with all the brokenness that exists here. Yeah. That's, that's really good. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in like, I think of like definitely music and any story, I think both in, you know, if you want to think in classical terms of tragedy and comedy, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, comedies are ones that end happily and tragedies don't. I think in both you see the hope for restoration. In one, it's fulfilled. So think of every movie that Mm -hmm. has a happy ending. Why do we want happy endings? Why do we want a resolve, a resolve, a resolution? uh, And then in the tragedies, they're there not because it's not an enjoyment. It's to say something feels wrong about that. Like Mm -hmm. it it didn't end up the way it should have. So it's the absence of the resolve that you want to peer into or something. Right. And so I just see like, it's everywhere in every story and every, That's good. you know, mm-hmm. and then well, I think about that in music too. If you sure. play the, the first half of a song and you oh. stopped it, yes, you, you know. can tell you didn't hear the end. Yeah. Right. You're like, <laughs> right. The, the song has to have an ending to yeah. it. And a even movie, a melody needs I, like to be those, resolved or you feel weird. It's you know? really popular in indie movies to have like, uh, endings that are kind of just quirky and you don't really understand what happened. <laughs> I cannot handle those. I know that they're very popular and people that are great thinkers, they love, them. I need a movie to resolve something. Yeah. I yeah. need it to end and go, Oh, that's wonderful. Why? But they're actually making a point, like Adam said, exactly in those they're movies, doing. they're making a point about restoration by yeah. having an ending like that. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating to think about like the four episodes we've done on culture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Mm-hmm. Those plot points are in every piece of <laughs> culture. It. Everything. Yeah. It, like everything. And, yeah. and various things emphasize one over the other, depending on what it is and what it's trying to get at. Like a tragedy is going to emphasize the fall. But it's implying a hope yep. for redemption and restoration. But yep. I mean, so it's in the DNA of that's good 
every sort of cultural thing because all these things are sort of pointing toward eternity and pointing toward the gospel story, right? Yeah. Yeah, a good idea without an ending is not necessarily even a good idea when you're creating things. Or I hear that all the time about SNL skits. You'd be like, oh, we had this really funny idea. We just didn't know how to get out of it. And so you just start something funny and you're like, I just don't know how to resolve it, yeah. and, uh, which is funny in itself. But you're right. A lot of people make the point that if there's not a resolution, sometimes that's the point that make you think to go, what do you think we should do about this? And our heart does cry out. When you read the news every day, you want some of these That's things to be too. resolved. Yep. You want conflicts in parts of the world to be resolved. You want uh, racial division to be resolved. You want certain laws that I believe should not be on the books to be resolved. I want them to go away. When I think about somebody who has uh, suffered injustice, I want them to get what is coming to them in seeing like a a recompense and somebody who has gotten away with something. I want them to be punished. We want resolution. Mm. And what we have in God and what we have in the doctrine of restoration is God giving us a better ending than what we deserve, certainly, but better than what we could come up with. Mm. There's, there's no ending that we could come up with better than having a restored view of who God is and who we are and delighting in the fact that my flawed and failing existence is not something to wallow in, but something to celebrate in because of what Jesus Christ has done. That because he has given me his righteousness and taken upon himself my failings, I get to look forward to the hope of the restoration. And we don't offer this as the truth of the gospel to say, hey, hey, convince your kids this is going to be better than hell. Convince your friends this is going to be better than hell. That is, this is not to scare people into heaven, but this is at the same time this great hope for every Christian to say, this is where I am accumulating my treasure in Mm. the place where it will all be restored. And that's why we operate as citizens of a kingdom that does exist, but will exist fully one day. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website. Today's episode was produced by David Roark and edited and mixed by Chris Terrett. We'll see you next time. God bless and thanks for listening. 